0: This is the Head Start Online Resilience Tool Podcast with me, Louisa Street, and Professor Andy Fitkin. Okay, so welcome to the second episode of the Online Resilience Podcast. I'm Louisa Street, Education Wellbeing Specialist with Brooke, and I'm here again with
1: uh, Andy I'm Andy Fippin, I'm Professor of Digital Rights at Bournemouth University and have spent most of my research lives talking to young people about how they use technology.
0: Brilliant, and today we're sort of focusing on support for parents around online behaviours that young people might be engaging with. We sort of thought to start off with, talk a little bit about understanding young people's online behaviour. Andy, have you got any initial thoughts to get us started?
1: yeah. yeah. I'll start where I I normally do with these sorts of things. I have spent a reasonable amount of time over the years doing doing parents talks and things. And and the one thing that comes up a great deal is, oh, but they do things with technology that we don't understand. So let's start off by saying you don't have to understand the technology they're using in order to be able to help them navigate that technological world. I think that's a a really important point in that we don't have to know what's going on in TikTok, although... It seems to me that um, many, many adults are now using TikTok, um, which means that kids are going to find it very uncool and move away from it very quickly. <laughs> but equally, this isn't something where you know you have to be right on top of it. There are some fairly fundamental things in terms of being able to listen to, to what your children are talking about, your the, the children being confident in order to be able to raise concerns and similar. But, but probably the, the phrase that, that gets me the most is this, this term digital native. They're digital natives, as though if you're born after a certain date, yeah, <laughs> um, you are some way inherently better at using technology than someone who is who was born before that date. Which, which of course, is is nonsense. It's been widely <laughs> discredited, but it's still something that. Well, I I was on a, a call with um, some safeguarding people the other day, and they immediately came out with these terms. Um, so, so you know, it, it's still flying around, and I don't I don't think it's helpful to have that assumption and also it's almost like an excuse then we can sort of go oh well I don't really understand that so we'll just leave them to it which is probably the worst thing Mm.
0: yeah I mean I think the the thing that's really interesting about the idea of digital natives is that if we're going to say young people are then we have to say we all are because technology has been around for decades (laughs) and I was doing some research earlier for some training and the first Fax Machine became commercially available in the sixties, but actually the technology had existed since the nineteenth century. So the idea that young people now are digital natives where their parents and their grandparents aren't, sort of seems a bit off the mark, I suppose.
1: No, nah, certainly, you know, email's been flying around since the seventies, <laughs> yeah. the the internet's been been around for a very long time. What what we're basically saying, I think, is that they don't do things the same as us. Yeah. Therefore, it's either problematic or wrong where, you know, if as a parent you sort of reflect on what you were doing when you were 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I'm sure the fundamental behaviours are pretty similar. I know I I visited Bob Moon College a while ago, which is my old comprehensive and I was sat there with a, with a bunch of year 10 lads who were talking about um, the sorts of things that year 10 lads talk about and, you know, there really was very little difference in they want a relationship with somebody, they they want to understand how <laughs> How you might build a relationship. But the difference, I guess, between that and something that me and my mates might have been doing in the very same classroom 30 years ago, which makes me feel very old, by the way, <laughs> is, um, is you know it's it's just a lot more public now, and there's an awful lot more pressure, and there's an awful lot more information flying around. So you know they they do need to have adults in their lives they can go and ask those questions to, and get the 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 straight honest answers back rather than. Well, I don't know what TikTok is. Bugger off and talk to somebody else about it, or, or something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I think it's that element of whatever's happening to a young person online, whether it's totally normal and and not something that you know we'd want parents to be particularly worried about, or whether it is worrying to us as adults as well it's important to the young person like whether they got two likes on their tiktok video or five hundred thousand. that's important to them and that's stuff Mm -hmm. they want to talk about and i think being open to having those conversations without necessarily having to understand what the technology is and what the fashions are um is a really important step and something which sometimes we have to get over our anxiety a little bit of saying oh i don't know what that is can you tell me a bit about it to hear that, to hear that
2: experience.
1: I think to flip it around and go, well, I don't know what this is, why don't you mm-hmm. tell me about it? Or, or what's the, what's this thing that everyone's talking about? Snapchat at the moment. Why is everyone so into that? Rather than, I don't know what that is, someone else should be dealing with that. Or, or, the, or the classic one, which I've heard from parents a great deal, and I completely sympathise with this, which is, don't they get all this sort of thing at school? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Which equally has its own challenges because you know schools do their very best, but with a, a lack of national guidance or uh, national coordination, um, sometimes that can be a little bit patchy as well. So you know, all of us with a responsibility for for the safeguarding of, of young people in our lives have a role to play. I think it's, it's not something where you go right. Like, the school deals with that. I deal with that as parent. That's dealt with by the GP. You know, all all of these things have. Crossovers and, and and we all have a, a responsibility there. Mm. But I think one of the most important things is that you know most of the time, young people use technology in an extremely positive and supportive manner. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and and that's it. It's it's it is mostly positive, not harmful interaction through different apps and and online media that is very similar to what we would have done as younger people and, and to what young people are also doing so the online world is an addition it's not something totally separate those two worlds are the same world.
1: What, one of my favourite analogies I use, just thinking of my own kids, is they're about 16, is While they might be doing similar things, they might be doing it in a slightly different way. So, you know, whereas we used to go, oh, it's eight o'clock, it's time for the programme to start that we all want. <laughs> um, you know, you know, my kids look at me and you know, go, what do you mean it's on or that, it's on whenever you want to. But <laughs> I can remember two or three years ago, my son had been spending two or three hours just... Consuming YouTube videos, we were very much into Minecraft at times, but we're watching a load of Minecraft walkthroughs. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
1: and his mum said to him, um, "You've been on YouTube a long time. Why don't you do something else instead?" And he went, "Well, it's chucking it down with rain. What else am I going to do?" And she went, well, "Why don't you watch telly?" <laughs> which always, which always struck me as quite a, quite an amusing little reflection on. Um, it's a similar behaviour. It's just done in a in a different way. So. We need to sort of get get over that hurdle
0: absolutely and that very neatly brings us on to the next point that we're going to discuss today which was about screen time um and and i think there's a lot of concern about screen time at the moment that um you know because there's various applications of technology that can tell you how much time you've been spending on your phone or on your tablet or on your computer, Mm -hmm. it's very tempting to say, oh, I need to reduce that. But I think it's really important to remember that we are using screens for different things. And certainly at the moment, you know, we're all in this lockdown situation. And a lot of people who have children who are in contact with me from various different things, whether it's friends or colleagues or, or through work, people are concerned about how much time their children are spending looking at a screen. But it's probable that they're not just doing one thing. You know, they might be chatting to their friends on a messenger app, they might be playing a game, they might be watching Netflix or YouTube videos. And actually that's quite a wide variety of things to be doing. So Mm -hmm. just looking at this is the amount of time that you've spent online today, isn't that useful to understand how that young person is using the technology?
1: This is probably going to be something I'll return to quite a lot through the podcast, but technical tools generally aren't much help in any of this sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I'll sort of like look at my phone with the, with the screen time up on my phone. And like, oh, you're on Facebook for an hour and a half today. It's like, well, yeah, but half of that was for work. <laughs> a third of that was contacting people and messaging. You know, it's just. Looking at these things in in blanket blocks is is not helpful. I can remember being at a primary school in North Cornwall a while ago and um, said to a, a very small class, there was about six in the class, right, hands up who thinks they to spend too much time online, and two of the, the young people put their hands up. Yeah, I spend too much time online. Said to a, a young lad, um. Oh, oh, well, how long do you spend online, anyway? Six hours. So, are you sure you spend six hours a day online? Because you're at school for nearly eight hours <laughs> of that. So, and he, he was just like pointing out that he spends a lot of time gaming. And then this this young lady said, said well, "Well, I think I do." said, so, Well, How long do you spend? I said "Oh, about an hour a day. I said, "Well, that doesn't sound like a lot of time online to me." He said, well, "What do you do?" She said, "Well, I come home from school, and then I go on YouTube for a bit, and then we have dinner, and then I go on YouTube for a bit more, and then." get ready for bed well that seemed perfectly reasonable for me he said she said yeah but my mum says it's too much and i thought it was, it was quite a sad situation for her to be in because obviously there was a projected anxiety there um the, the the parent was obviously concerned that she might be spending too much time online again i've got massive amounts of sympathy on this one because i'll, I'll do a parent's talk and, and one of the questions would be how long should my child spend online as if there's a magic number right. uh, and, and, and being being the, the unhelpful individual i am i normally come back with well how long do you think each child just spend online which isn't you know isn't the answer <laughs> they want at all but it's it always comes back to depends <laughs> are they passively just sat there looking at a screen are they watching and interacting with videos are they building a world in minecraft with their mates are they collaborating on a piece of code together there's, there's massive amounts of things you can do online so there used to be this very simple measure that said no more than two hours a day for um, um, young people between about the ages of five and sixteen and this was from the american association of pediatrics and it's like well that's just completely useless isn't it? right. Like, right you picked up your phone let's like stop stopwatch right it's kind of like after two hours right get off yeah. you know there is there is some sort of guidance um, from uh, the government on this sort of thing now but but it pretty much says there isn't sufficient amounts of research to say that you know, a certain set of period of time becomes harmful for young people there's, there's nothing that says um, after three hours they should stop I mean, there are some things that strike me as physiologically quite sensible like you know no screen time just before bed because physiologically speaking exposing your brain to blue light before you go to bed means that you're going to stay awake longer because you're not relaxing um so so there are some sensitive environments there but in terms of this this mystical number i really think we need to be looking in a slightly more nuanced way than that
0: yeah absolutely and i think i suppose a simple rule of thumb is it shouldn't be the case for a child or a young person that all of their day is spent on their phone like if you want to encourage a healthy sort of attitude encourage them to go outside encourage them to have some time away from their phone or their tablet but don't look at the screen time on its own as a measure of whether or not you're succeeding or failing (laughs) as a parent because actually it doesn't tell you enough to um to to give you that information and and if i could give parents one bit of reassurance from this podcast. If we don't panic. Don't panic about how much time is spent online. Don't beat yourself up if your young person, your child is spending a lot of time on their device. Yeah. Just try and look at the bigger picture and encourage them to not just have that in their lives.
1: I mean, let's, let's reflect on this. We live in Cornwall. There are, there are a huge numbers of children that are living in fairly rural, remote places. Technology can be absolutely fantastic Enabler to be able to interact with your friends without actually physically being there. I mean, look at the situation we're in at the moment. With lockdown. Yeah. Um, you know, young people's link to the outside world with technology. And even when we're not in this these unusual situations, which seems to be the standard phrase, <laughs> play, it, it might be that you know you you're stuck halfway up a hill in North Cornwall. Um, it's chucking it down with rain. Why wouldn't they be? Doing stuff online, it, it's when it becomes compulsive, or whether it becomes something where you can notice a change in mood. Um, you know, so sometimes talking to hardcore gamers and things, they will take a little bit of time to readjust to the real world after they finish the game. Yeah, and it's perfectly reasonable. I, I I think the last big one from from my perspective was Fortnite. So when Fortnite exploded, the first thing that happens when when uh, an online phenomenon happens is people like me get phoned up by the press, and then <laughs> the press go. What's wrong with it? (laughs) (laughs) You go, well, well, I don't think there's much wrong with it. (laughs) It seems like a perfectly average first person (laughs) Um, And and I can remember speaking to a journalist She went, Oh, I feel really bad. Why do you feel really bad? Well, I only let my son play in Kent. Why does that make you feel really bad? Um, Because that's not fair, because some of his mates play in the week. Does your son find it problematic? No. and and, you know when i've spoken to gamers in the past and i talk about these um ground rules that that parents set um most of them are pretty accepting of it you know in in some cases where you sort of go oh you know they're not allowed to play grand theft auto at the age of 12 and what do you think about that the normal responsibility goes to show that parents care about it (laughs) doesn't it There's, there's there seems to be very little Oh, that's completely out of order and that's absolutely outrageous so it, it is perfectly reasonable to go you've been gaming for two hours the time you you get off that um if you want to avoid conflict maybe you don't march into their room and switch their console off and sort of go get more gaming <laughs> yeah. but you know setting those boundaries is quite reasonable
0: absolutely and um, my brother who's eight years younger than me was very into gaming when he was a kid and i can remember he was probably 10 or 11 and I was correspondingly older. And I I decided, as his older sister, he'd spent far too much time gaming that day and just went in and turned it off at the Switch. And that provoked a very aggressive response. And I think, yeah, like, if you're seeing a young person having a, an aggressive response all the time then that's a real red flag but if it's having an aggressive response to perhaps a sibling taking it upon themselves to make those decisions then that's probably (laughs) quite normal and and you know I think those changes in behavior those things that as a parent you would see if something was different something was off with your child those are the times that you maybe need to have a discussion with them and find out what's going on it's led to that change in behavior
1: I guess if you're taking a, a slightly less digital online analogy if you were watching maybe a, a football match or something and it was five minutes to go and someone marched into your room switched the telly off and went no you've been watching football too long <laughs> that's liable to provoke a similar aggressive response Absolutely. that's not because watching footballs rotting your brain or turning you into a zombie that's because yeah. you're enjoying watching the football uh, and yeah, absolutely, you know you can really get immersed in gaming and things and, and there is a there is a slight adjustment you come off of. so you you know say right, you've got fifteen minutes, you've got one more game, don't say right you're coming off it now, or as you've discovered, marching into someone's room and switching off their console, <laughs> yeah.
0: so yeah, I think as part of that, having boundaries within the family, so that everybody knows what those rules are, so that you don't have that situation of the older sibling making the decision this person has spent too long on this game today.
1: So, you
0: know, and and modeling that as well, because I think I know as an adult that I will sit down and scroll through Instagram or Facebook for an hour. And that's quite a nice thing for me to do sometimes because it means that I switch off. I'm not thinking about work. I'm having that transition time. And if I need that, I need to understand that I'm modeling that behavior to my children. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm gonna put family boundaries in place, I need to make sure there are boundaries that I can stick to as well as expecting my family to stick to them.
1: I think you know so, sometimes these sorts of things like sign home agreements or whatever mm-hmm. can be a little bit um, cloying. <laughs> but equally, they can be a very useful tool. It doesn't have to be, right, we've printed out this piece of paper <laughs> we've obtained from this website and you've all got to sign it. But you can talk about it. You know, we do have to reflect on the role models. Like, oh, well, my kids don't get off their phones when, when they're eating their dinner. Well, do you? No. <laughs> <laughs> or, 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 well, I have to check my email late at night because it's for work. Well, no, you don't. And you know, one, one of the things I speak about with adults a great deal, particularly in working situations, is what do you hope to achieve by checking that email at 10 o'clock at night, apart from <laughs> ending up annoyed and being unable to sleep, which is generally what happens when you check emails at 10 o'clock at night you know just leave it to the morning so so i think yeah. you, you pick up a really good point there in terms of, of what the role modelling is I know mean, I, I heard some families which put all the devoy- devices in a basket after a certain amount of time and it works for some people it doesn't work for others but having those conversations including the, the children in those conversations i think is is quite an important part of, of the the rule setting i think
0: definitely yeah i think that that sounds like very sensible advice and um, so the next point that we were going to discuss is about being available to kids if something goes wrong what advice do you think would be useful for parents if something has gone wrong for their child or something if they are having a bad time online or if they're upset about something
1: i think i i, I sort of reflect back the advice that young people say to me it's, it's been the same for about 15 years of doing this sort of work like what can adults do to help listen don't judge and understand which i think is is, is you know fairly yeah. standard straightforward stuff and you know I, i'll have young people saying there's no way i could tell my, my dad about that because he'd go mad or i wouldn't speak to yeah. mum about that because she would take the phone off me or actually you know speaking as someone with a 15 a, a year old daughter um if she was in the situation where Um, Someone was harassing her for a a nude, for example, which is not that unusual for a 15-year-old. She was getting upset by that. She came to me and said, look, this lad is constantly harassing me for nudes. I'm sure my first response would be, Ellie, go and get in the cricket bat. I'm going to go and see the (laughs) boy now. Um, But obviously that's not not helpful for her. Um, Certainly not helpful for the young man and certainly not helpful for me either. So you'd have to sort of take a step back from it and go, okay, well, that's my first sort of knee-jerk reaction, but how is that going to help um, instead, let's, let's sort of reflect on what we can do. Can you block them? Can you go into the school? And I think that's, that's one of the things we, we often miss out is like, oh, this has happened outside of the school gate, therefore the school shouldn't be involved in it. That's not the case at all. You know? Schools generally have got pretty good safeguarding training. They've got very sort of sensible responses to these sorts of things. And on top of that, they've probably dealt with them before. So by all means, yeah. go and talk to the school about it as well. But, but the one thing, going on from the conversation about as we old people call it sexting but you are not come across a young person that uses that term. <laughs> but if if you have got someone who for example at the age of 14 has taken an image of himself and sent it to somebody and that somebody who's decided to share it with 15, 20 other people in the classroom and as a result of that the, the person who took the image and sent the image in the first place is, is being bullied or abused as a result of it, the last thing they need to hear from an adult is you shouldn't have done yeah. that should you? Because they're probably quite clear that that's yeah. <laughs> the case. What's far more helpful is, right, let's see what we can do to, to sort this out. Because you know, I, I hear now from adult victims and things like revenge pornography the same message as they uh, delivery the school, which are things like, once it's online, it's always online, and um, you can't control something that's out there, when actually you can. Um, there are things that mm. you can do. Um, but you might have to involve, you know, safeguarding professionals and things in it as well. But but the fundamental point is, don't lose your mind. Bear in mind, this is an upset young person in front of you, what can you do to help? And it doesn't require you to have the most up-to-date, media, knowledgeable technology. A lot of these things are about bullying, abuse, harm, they've seen something that's upset them, all those sorts of things. Yeah. And it's not specifically that they did it on a platform but it's happened and it happened online, but that doesn't stop us helping them
0: out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really sound advice. Um, (laughs) And, you know, I think the key thing to remember is that probably if something like this is happening, you'll find out about it because the young person will choose to talk to you about it. Like, you know, we can talk about the possible signs and the possible flags that something's happening, but, Young people are going to be good at hiding what's going on, particularly if they're really worried about it. But having those open conversations about risk and staying safe <laughs> um, will hopefully make it easier for them to come to you as a parent when that happens. And yeah, that, that's the most likely way that you'll find out that something's been going on.
1: I think that's a really good point. In The first time you have the pornography conversation with your child, isn't when you've discovered their internet history at the age of 15. <laughs> yeah. it's, you have those conversations as they're growing up, and similar in the same way that you have the conversation about if someone's asking you for an image you're uncomfortable taking, that's probably a disrespectful thing to do, isn't it? And you can have those conversations about respect and consent and, and those sorts of things from, from quite an early age. Um, they don't have to be, yeah. you know, Newton dick pics at that age. Um, but but you can start to lay the foundations so they know that it's not going to be the first ever conversation they've had with mum and dad about an online issue. Is is when unfortunately a, an indecent image of them has gone flying around the, the internet or similar. So so you can sort of lay the foundations so, there so they are confident that they will come to you and talk about it and they're confident that that you know they will be able to get some help from it as well. But I think that the point you raise there, which is a really important one, is this concept of risk. There was an awful lot of chat in this whole area about keeping children safe online.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, let's break it to everybody gently. Sadly, <laughs> you can't keep someone safe online. What you can do is make them resilient to the challenges that face them. We would, I'm sure be absolutely lucky if we had an online world where no one was ever contacted by strangers, no one's <laughs> ever seen anything upsetting online. No one's ever been abused by their peers and all those other things as well. However, that's probably not going to happen. <laughs> so we need them to understand risky behaviour, we need them to, to build some resilience, and that resilience can be built by having a supportive family around you because you know you have got somebody to, to turn to and talk to and, and you know, allow them to to, to take some risks. Yeah. Obviously not um see if you can buy a gun online <laughs> 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 So same things like yeah, yeah, interacting with people online isn't generally speaking dangerous. Playing games with people you don't know isn't generally speaking dangerous. But you've got the tools there. So if someone is being abusive, you can block them. You can report them. If that person is trying to contact you through other channels, then talk to us about it, and and we'll see what we can do do about that. Um, Don't just go, oh my god, I failed to keep them safe. In the same way that we teach road safety from a very early age, it doesn't stop people walking out into the road occasionally we can't we can't eliminate risk we can mitigate risk and we can manage risk
0: well yeah absolutely and i you know i think that's the really key analogy that you can't wrap your child up in bubble wrap and send them out into the world and assume that that's going to be okay you know in in real life we have to be able to navigate the world and and how to stay um safe within it and the internet is the same you have to know what the risks are in order to avoid them. And yes. and I think a really good example of that is at the moment, uh, you know, we're in this lockdown situation, everyone's relying a lot more heavily on the internet, and there are consequently more scams going around, it seems, or maybe there's more awareness of scams <laughs> going around. And knowing what they are, knowing what they're likely to be saying, knowing that if someone emails you and says, oh, put your money into this safe account, that's probably a scam. That means that when somebody emails you and says, put your money into this safe account, you're going to know, actually, that's really risky. And I need to phone my bank and find out what's going on and not just do what, what I'm told to do in this email. And by raising everybody's awareness about those risks, mm-hmm. we make it less likely mm-hmm. that we'll fall foul of them. But that doesn't mean that we won't. You <laughs> know, we're, we're all fallible. We're all, it's yeah. possible that anyone could receive a scam email, not realise it's a scam and and lose money as a result of it and i think we shouldn't feel bad when that happens that's okay that's actually quite normal (laughs) um particularly because those sort of scams work by making you feel very anxious and panicked so yeah it does happen but once we know that that's happening we can put things in place to try and keep ourselves our loved ones our family our money safe.
1: Um, one, one uh, experience that, that stood out strongly for me was I, I visited a, a, a sixth form college a, a while ago to do a talk, um, and this this is not something unusual. This happens quite a lot. They are oh, can you just come and talk to somebody in pastoral office? So I went in there as a young man he's, he's 17, I he said, "Oh, what's up?" Then he said, "Oh, oh no, I, I've done a really bad thing." So "Well, what have you done?" He said, "Oh." someone approached me and and made friends with me on facebook and then they were sending me private messages um and they're really really hot Like, okay so you've done some webcaming have you so yeah 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 you know they said why don't you do this webcam and uh, and then i got an email half an hour later saying they'd recorded it and they were going to um post it on youtube and share Mm -hmm. it with my Mm -hmm. friends who they they contacted on facebook and and they're going to share it with my family, who they know from Facebook, unless I send them £500. Right. So uh, so I said, um, so what have you done? He said, well, I've told my parents and I've told the police. Brilliant. Okay, and has the video gone out? No. He said, oh, I feel so ashamed. (laughs) I just went, mate, there's there's hundreds of adults get caught out like this every weekend as well. You know, this isn't just something that happens to 17-year-olds and you've done exactly the right thing. But from his view it only happened to him yeah. so to have someone going you know you know lots of people do this and yeah you're probably kicking yourself and yeah it is a bit daft, but this is really not a new... it's a bit like when you get the email flying in saying um oh we know you've been looking at porn <laughs> your webcam
0: how did you know <laughs> uh, you'll,
1: you'll get someone going
2: oh my god <laughs>
1: that's true <laughs> yeah you and you, you know are a very high percentage of the population they're just preying on that paranoia, yeah. um, but, and you know sometimes it works. The professionals I've worked with, well, yeah, my friend says that this has happened, and he's really really scared. I'm like, "You're a professional. You work for the police. Sure, you know." <laughs> so yeah but he was it's like yeah, of course he was. <laughs> yeah. Also, other people were that weekend as well you know you just have to look at Pornhub's traffic data. Yeah. it's not like two or three people no
0: and uh, interestingly I went to a police crime commissioner conference many years ago now um where they were talking about victim support and they said that actually there's a huge online community now of people who have been victims of financial scams and the amount of shame they feel uh, because of um falling foul of one of these mm-hmm. scams is is huge and they feel unable to talk to people about it because everybody rolls their eyes and says oh you didn't realize the nigerian prince wasn't for real it's <laughs> It is, it it happens, it happens to lots of people, it happens to people who are very knowledgeable about this stuff, who thought that they wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't happen to them. With young people, it's possibly, there's possibly a slightly higher risk because they have a less developed ability to predict the outcome of things and to assess risk. Mm -hmm. So having those conversations with them is really important. Uh, Young people might feel more pressure to engage in some behaviours because of, Peer influence, peer pressure is much more powerful for young people than it is for adults. So if another adult says to me, oh, you should do this, you should get involved in this uh, pyramid scheme, (laughs) I'm going to be like, no. (laughs) But as a young person, I would find it much harder to say that and to keep that distance because I feel the peer pressure a lot more as a young person. Well,
1: you know, there's some very clearly defined cognitive reasons for it. The, the I am told by cognitive psychologists that the, the prefrontal cortex, which is the, the part of the brain which understands risk, basically breaks down and gets reconstructed to a teenage year. so So they literally can't recognise risk yeah. in the same way that an adult would, which is kind of why we, we need to be there to help them. One of the things we do need to also explore as well, because this is something I think that parents really struggle with sometimes, is young people and their right to privacy. Mm certainly when you're talking about young children most of their online interactions are going to be like within a, a family environment but we do need to recognize the fact that young people do have a right to privacy and as they get older they will want to keep something private and that's not a failure of parenting and that's not um, that's not to say they're keeping it private because they're doing something bad yeah. it's just that they don't want their entire world to be exposed to to you know the, the family home
0: yeah Absolutely, I mean, when we did the um, consultation as part of the online resilience tool, um, some of the youngest children that we consulted with, so these were children who were five, six and seven, were saying, I wouldn't want my mum to read my private messages to my friends. And I was quite surprised by that. I was surprised that that came from such a young age group to already be saying that they expect to have a degree of privacy. But then, again, if we look at an offline analogy, if your child had a friend round, you wouldn't expect to hear mm-hmm. every word yeah. that they spoke to each other. Um, and children like to keep separation between family life and school and friends. And-
1: you know, you'll, you'll have the, the classic parenting responses, why don't you go and play in your room for a while now? You know I'm <laughs> yeah. and, and I'm going to sit on your bed while you're doing it because <laughs> yeah. I need to hear what you're saying to each other. No, certainly I can, I can again, remember a problem in school session. It flips back a little bit to, to the role modeling side of it as well. There was a, uh, a young lady who was year six. Who was, who was saying she gets really annoyed that her mum keeps on posting up embarrassing photographs of her online mm. um, on her mum's account. So I sort of went, Well, do you ask her to take them down? She said, Oh, yeah, I do. But um, she thinks it's funny, so she leaves them on. So I said, But surely, you know, you've got, you look like a privacy, haven't you? And the, the young lady went, Well, um, oh, it's my mum. She can do what she wants. So I turned to the class teacher at that time, and the class teacher looked at me, held her hands up, and went, I ain't going anywhere near that one. <laughs> um, but, but I think, you know, because I did say to her, well, maybe you need to go home and talk to your mum about how you feel when she does this sort of thing. Because I can remember, again, with my own kids, there was the, the back-to-school picture that we watch everyone post up at the start of September. And um, it was two or three years ago now, and my daughter, who is somewhat headstrong, I don't know how, happened, <laughs> So I went, Come on, let, let's do a let's do a Mickey taking back to school picture then. And she just went, "You're not using me for likes, bugger <laughs> off." <laughs> and it was just a wonderful observation that you know it, it was being done in a, a non-hostile, non-explosive way. But she's right; I was trying to get a, a funny picture of the kids to, to go and get likes <laughs> on Facebook. So, so so yeah, you know we, we have to think about our own behaviours as well. But but there's there's nothing wrong, I think, with, with a child wanting to keep this separation of you know, the conversations they have with, with their, their friends uh, and the conversations they have with parents or whatever. I mean, yeah. one thing that, that is well worth talking about is is the use, again, of technology to, to help within these home settings so, you, you and facilities at home, which will to some degree prevent them from accessing um, inappropriate content and uh, things that can sometimes be Quite useful, but sometimes they can be quite restrictive as well. And um, yes. for those of you that are confident that, that they will work, my son got around one in about three minutes once. I did, <laughs> I did set him the task of doing it. He was fourteen at the time. I did set him the task of doing it. It took him about three minutes to get around it with a YouTube video. Right. But but you know, it's it's when you get into these sort of monitoring and tracking situations. And I'm certainly not here to judge and tell people don't do it. It's disgraceful. But at the same time, you need to reflect on why you're doing that are you trying to keep them safe or are you eavesdropping on their conversations yeah. um, and, and surely a, a happier balance is that right i'm not going to be looking at all your conversations but if something happens that upsets you you can come and talk to me about it and you're not going to get in trouble and i'm not going to take your device off you yeah you know i, I can remember speaking to, to again to a journalist saying that, that they had a friend and um, they kept on checking their daughter's instagram because their daughter had left their Instagram logged in. Mm-hmm. She said, oh, she left her um, Instagram logged in when she was over there the other day. So I was thinking this was like a 13, 14 I was like, well, how old was her daughter? 21. <laughs> you know, that's not healthy. <laughs> um, and she said, oh, but she doesn't talk about that that much about her life. So she wanted to have a have a window into her life. I mean, that's, that's really quite unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to sort of reflect on whether monitoring is, uh, a, you know, you can install software which, if it identifies certain words in chats, you get an alert, or if there's certain type of images taken, you get an alert. But they're never going to be infallible. Uh, no. And what happens when you get the false positive and that creates some sort of a, a conflict in the home? Um, <laughs> and, 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 and so we're moving to the more extreme side of this, and we then get into, into tracking apps where, where young people are tracked in order to reassure the parent they're safe now. I'm not here to, to um, cause concern or, or worry for parents, but it doesn't tell you where your child is, it tells you where your child's device is. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a very important point to that. I, I have heard of some wonderful examples of them. for example, someone with an epileptic son who couldn't go very far because he was, he was fitting a lot, um, um, and there was obviously a lot of concern there. But well, look, if we can track you on your phone, and you end up having a fit, and you know where you are. We can come and get you. So, so you yeah. know that was a really positive, nicely negotiated scenario. But but the sort of person that goes, I know where my eighteen-year-old is, <laughs> and they're around their boyfriends, and they told me they were around their friends, and I just think this this is not a healthy use of technology. And um, you know, to, to take it to an extreme point, tracking technology is used as examples of domestic abuse in yeah. adult scenarios. So so you have to sort of reflect on whether these are being used for positive and, and, and supportive means
0: and I think it's that um, I think to sort of sum some of what you've set up it's okay to use some of those um, filters those parental controls yep. um, and as you say maybe use um, find my phone type apps if that's discussed with the young person and they know why it's happening, how long it's going to happen for if it's you know if you're putting parental controls, on a child's device at eight years old, maybe those controls need to be reviewed at 11 years old and 13 years old as they get older. And as they start to want to have more freedom with what they're doing online, they want to have more privacy. Um, And yeah, you know, if if you put a tracking app on your child's phone with their knowledge and their consent to understand that it's there to keep them safe, that's very different to doing it without their knowledge and trying to use it to reassure yourself that they're safe without having that discussion with the young person.
1: I think so, definitely. Um, You know, it it is one of those things where it it sadly might give a a level of reassurance that perhaps um, isn't necessarily there. And, you know, the the horrible reality is that uh, if young people want to hide something or be secretive, and they're aware of ones they will probably find ways of doing that
0: absolutely and there's there's plenty of apps that will do that as well that will um hide from other hacking apps and and really like with the the tracking thing i remember when i was young there was a big thing of like i'm gonna tell my mum i'm going to your house so then if she calls your house to make sure i'm there Um, can you make sure you tell her that I am there whereas actually I'm going out with a boy (laughs) and you know actually that would be even easier if I could say to my friend here's my phone Um, can you take it to your house because I'm telling my mum that's where I'm going and then if something does happen to me the, the parent isn't going to know they're not going to be any the wiser just because they know where my phone is and actually it'd be harder to find me if something has happened
1: yeah no, absolutely. We've wrapped it on quite a bit now, mm. but I think I don't, I don't want to finish off on a low. Okay. So I don't want to finish off by sort of going, and by the way, all that technology you've installed, oh, it's a waste of time. <laughs> uh, I, I guess in sort of drawing this to a close, I mean, what, what would be your sort of, you know, your, your top three pieces of advice you might give a parent who, who might be worried about what, what their children are up to online? Oh,
0: good question. Um, talk to them about it. So have, have that ongoing conversation any time that you're watching a TV show or listening to a podcast that talks about online resilience, online safety, or activity online. Talk to your young person about what's going on in their life. Um, that would be my number one. Well, I don't know about number two and three.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, following, following on from your number one there, I think the... You can have the conversations like placing uh, uh, someone on the spot. So so saying, do you look at porn, son? It's probably <laughs> not a good starting point. But, but if you say, oh, you know, there's been some stuff in the press about people your age looking at porn. Does that go on with your mates? <laughs> it's a far easier way of starting that conversation. Yeah. I, think. I certainly think if a young person has disclosed that something happened, take a deep breath before you respond and reflect upon the fact this is someone who is upset and vulnerable who's asking for help. Telling them off is not going to be Definitely. a constructive way of dealing with that.
0: So, is that one and two, or is that just still number one?
1: I think that's one and two. That's one and two. So,
0: I would maybe say number three then would be um, negotiate. Yeah. with With your young person, you know, if you're whether you want to bring in boundaries around screen time, whether you want to discuss having a find my phone app, um, whether you want to put in new parental controls make that an open discussion make it a negotiation so that even if you're setting down the like laying down the law and you're saying i'm putting these controls in place to help you stay safe that they understand why why they're going to help the young person stay safe and when that will be reviewed
1: now i think and 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 part b to number three (laughs) then is just reflecting on the normal the role modeling side of things and yeah you know you're not imposing rules on on them you're not willing to like yourself if there is an agreement that you have find your phones is your phone locatable by by your children or is it just a one-way thing yeah and if so why is that the case
0: yeah i think that sounds very smart and very sage and simple hopefully advice <laughs> for parents there yeah um where can parents get more support if they've got concerns around their child's online behavior
1: I know there's a number of websites that provide a a huge amount of of resource for the parents. So um, saferinternet.org.uk is the UK Safer Internet site. You will be able to go onto various platforms that young people might be using. They normally have an awful lot of supportive material for parents. So I know Roblox, I know the the head of community safety, I think it is at at Roblox, um, and they provide an awful lot of support and information for parents as well. Um, if you go onto Microsoft's site and look at the support around Xbox and similar, or or Internet Matters, which is InternetMatters.org.uk, or another website, provide an awful lot of resources for parents. But but I think the 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 last piece of advice i certainly say is don't panic and don't think this is about technology because it isn't.
0: Brilliant! I think that is a is a great place to end. So. Um... We will be back hopefully in a couple of weeks with some more podcasts around online resilience. Thank you very much, Andy.
1: Pleasure. Good to talk to you as always. Yeah, and you. While this one's specifically about parents, the other podcasts are more aligned to to professionals, hopefully um, there's also some some useful stuff in those as well. So don't feel like this is the only Head Start podcast that you can listen to because you're a parent. Hopefully there's some other interesting things we will talk about. We'll be back online soon with more of these chats.
0: Brilliant, thanks very much.